Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.26 a.m. Central's daylight time. It's the 29th of July, 2020. This is episode 259 of Bitcoin, and we got an imposter. Um, I don't know if by the time that you guys hear this, because my internet is being slow, so not only do I have to record first, then I got to do some slight editing, and then I got to upload the son of a bitch, and yesterday it took forever, which is why it didn't get released until, I don't know, like six o'clock in the afternoon, like it did anybody any good. <clears throat> but hopefully by the time you do hear this, the imposter's already gone, but if not, a Twitter account at BVBTC1 is impersonating Brecky Von Bitcoin, who is at BVBTC. So I've reported at BVBTC1. Brecky, I confirmed it with him. It is an imposter. If you see BVBTC1 as a functioning account, report it as an imposter because they're trying to uh, impersonate uh, Brecky Von Bitcoin. And we like to, you know... Let, let's keep our let's keep our noses clean here. Let's get right on into it because I'm running late. Bitcoin Wallet Ledger's database was hacked <clears throat> for 1 million emails. Okay, so before you freak, okay, I got a ledger too. You know why I'm not freaking? Because they got the emails and personal data, but they're not going to get the keys. Okay, the keys are actually on your ledger. And even if somebody has your ledger, Unless they really know what the hell they're doing, they can't even get the private keys off the ledger. That's why we have hardware wallets. But still, it's not a question of if this shit happens. It's a question of when and how bad it's going to be when it does happen. So let's get through this one by Malwa. I'm butchering the hell out of that. This is Decrypt.co. Sometime this morning, Bitcoin hardware wallet maker Ledger revealed today that its e-commerce database was hacked last month. Oh, gee, thanks for telling us, guys. Leaking 1 million emails and some personal documents. No user funds were affected by the breach. I'm going to stop right there uh, to remind you that when they say some personal documents, I bought my Ledgers quite a while ago. Uh, so I don't remember giving them like, you know, a cop, uh, a shot screenshot of my license or whatnot, but here's the problem with the email. The one problem with the emails and personal data is if they have your address, uh, like shit, like, I don't know we're, we'll get through the rest of this, but it may be not a terrible idea to think about offloading the physical, uh, wallet uh, to like all your Bitcoin and whatnot onto some other wallet that is not kept on premises and use the one that you do have, or just get another one or something just in case the worst thing happens, you get broken into and they steal your shit and they hold you, I don't know, hold you at gunpoint or something like that. 
and say, you know, unlock this wallet and you can do that. And there's only like, you know, one one hundredth of a Bitcoin on there and just to make them go away. All right. But let's not hope. Let's hope that that shit doesn't happen. And please, you know, companies get your shit together. Please try to be at least, you know, show a modicum of security. Ledger said the attack targeted only its marketing and e-commerce database, meaning that hackers were unable to access users' recovery phrases or private keys. All financial information, such as payment information, passwords, and funds, were similarly unaffected. The breach was unrelated to Ledger's hardware wallets or its Ledger Live security product, the company added. Solely contact and order details were involved. That means probably physical addresses. Guys. This is mostly the email address of approximately 1 million of our customers. Further to the investigation, we have also been able to establish that a subset of them were all, was also exposed. First and last name, yeah, postal address, phone number, and products ordered, said Ledger in its announcement. Oh, that's, guys, no, this is, a yeah, because the physical, ad, some physical addresses um, and uh, full names and phone numbers were released along with the emails, this is bad. All right, this, this is terrible. So luckily, if I did get my account or the if they got my information, all they've really got is where I used to live in another city like a long time ago. So I hope whoever's living in that house doesn't have to deal with the residue because it's not outside the realm of possibility. The firm specified that more detailed personal information was leaked in 9,500 cases, including phone numbers, postal addresses, and what product they purchased. The announcement added that more detailed personal information could have been exposed. A researcher participating in Ledger's bug bounty program flagged the issue initially on July the 14th. The firm patched the problem at the time, but later discovered the breach had occurred weeks earlier on June 25th. With the cause was a third-party tool that accessed the marketing and e-commerce database now using or using a now disabled API key. In a note to clients, Ledger CEO Pascal Galther, Galthe, whatever, said the firm was extremely regretful about the incident. He further cautioned users to be wary of phishing attempts. Quote, we take privacy very seriously. No, you don't. We discovered this vulnerability thanks to our own bug bounty program. We fixed it immediately. But regardless of all that we did to avoid and fix this situation, we sincerely apologize for the inconvenience that this matter may cause you, added Gouther. You know, I wonder about liability if like a family's taken hostage and somebody ends up getting killed because of shit like this. I mean, is that is that the inconvenience of which you speak there, Mr. CEO? You fucking suit. Meanwhile, Ledger and France's Data Protection Authority, the CNIL, was notified about the breach on July the 16th. The firm is also working with the Orange Cyber Defense to find any evidence of the stolen data being sold online. All affected users were notified about the breach today, and the investigation is ongoing. Okay, so I haven't been notified, so uh, maybe I used a defunct uh, password for my old work. Whatever. Anyway, let's get on with this one. Bitcoin banking breakthrough is a bigger deal than most in cryptocurrency understand, says Caitlin Long. This was written sometime yesterday for the Daily Hodel by Daily Hodel staff. Avanti Financial Group founder and CEO Caitlin Long says the latest crypto and banking breakthrough spearheaded by the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, or the OCC, has implications that are far more reaching than most in the crypto industry understand. In a new episode of the Pomp Podcast, Long highlights... 
the importance of the banking regulators declaration that banks are now legally allowed to custody cryptocurrencies quote it's a big deal and it's a bigger deal than most folks in the crypto industry understand this announcement yesterday or two days ago now absolutely changes everything as of two days ago national banks can custody digital assets and it is what it is they do not need to go through a special process unless this is a material part of their business in quote long says the announcement not only applies to national banks but to state banks as well even if they are not directly mentioned in the letter quote only a relatively small fraction of the banks or sorry sorry only a relatively small fraction of the number of banks in this country are regulated by the OCC the OCC regulates national banks and then there are 50 state regulators that regulate state banks at the end of the day they are not different this is maybe a perception that a national bank has an advantage just because it is national but here is the difference state banks have the exact same master account at the federal reserve that a national bank has they can do the same things and state member banks by law can do everything that a national bank can do, end quote. In the near term, Long believes crypto companies could be negatively affected by this decision because of the need to go through the lengthy process to acquire a bank license. Quote, the entire landscape in the United States just shifted, and now you need a bank license in order to be competitive. That's the bottom line. If a bank can custody crypto, particularly if it is one of the big guys all the native crypto companies now need to get bank licenses it is not like folks weren't warned it takes nine to twelve months to get a bank license it is an unbelievably difficult process yikes is there anything yeah that's that's the end of it so actually you know some of that doesn't really bode well uh if what she says is actually true and caitlin's pretty sharp i mean she's not an idiot about this stuff so i i tend to think she's more right than wrong and if she's as right as as i think she may be this is going to take a swipe out of out, out of a lot of a lot of people that did not get their shit cleared up and set up uh to custody so we'll see what fallout looks like here over the next few months i suppose cleaning up crypto exchange wash trading will take global regulations I've said it before, I will say it again. Regulators are going to regulate anything that even remotely looks like it's regulatable, okay? It's not like I like it. It's just that if you put yourself in the situation where you are able to be regulated, you're going to get your ass regulated. This is by Andrew Singer for Cointelegraph sometime this morning. When Bitwise Asset Management declared in March 2019 presentation to the United States Security and Exchange Commission that 95% of the BTC trading volume being reported globally on cryptocurrency exchanges was fake, it jolted ratings firms, exchanges in the larger crypto world. Well, not really. Data analytics firms recalibrated their exchange ranking metrics, and some assumed it was just a matter of time before wash trading was curtailed, if not eliminated. But wash trading was back in the news last week when the CEO, president, and chief operating officer of Canadian crypto exchange CoinSquare were all forced to step down after Ontario Securities or on yeah Ontario Securities regulators accused the company of inflating trading volume to the tune of 5.5 billion dollars. Wash trading involves transactions in which no funds or financial interests are actually exchanged. They are sometimes referred to as false trades and are used to bolster an exchange's reported trade volume. This, in turn, gives the appearance of liquidity and market activity, attracting new users to the exchange in traditional finance. <clears throat> where exchanges are regulated, trade volume is a good proxy for liquidity, but not in the crypto world. You know, hence, Mt. Gox, before, even before the hack, 
Mt. Gox was involved in wash trading. So it's been going on for a while. Bobby Ong, co-founder and chief operating officer of crypto ratings platform CoinGecko, told Cointelegraph, quote, this problem is still prevalent. We still see non-regulated exchanges conducting wash trading, and we don't have a good measure to tell whether it's getting better or worse over time, end quote. Meanwhile, John Jeffries, chief financial analyst at crypto forensics firm CypherTrace, informed Cointelegraph the Bitwise letter to the SEC was a turning point because it informed investors and regulators on how pervasive wash trading was at the time. End quote. But it didn't stamp out the practice. Quote, this form of market manipulation is still a serious problem, especially in the 800 exchanges that are not in the top 40. End quote. Bitwise's chief technology officer, Hong Kim, told Cointelegraph that he has seen no uptick in wash trading lately. But since Bitwise made its presentation to the SEC in an attempt to win approval for a Bitcoin exchange traded fund or ETF, quote, enormous progress has been sustained, end quote, in dealing with the problem of fake trading numbers, but more work still needs to be done. Wash trading has even been reported recently on decentralized exchanges, which seem like an anomaly because each trade is recorded on a public ledger and fake trading may be easily detected. It seems that the practice may sometimes take place on Binance DEX or Loopring, showcasing that DEXs can also be affected. It's difficult to determine the exact amount of fake volume that exists because data aggregators receive data from the same exchange APIs where the wash trades and legitimate trading volumes are indistinguishable. Gerald Chi, head of research at CoinMarketCap, told Cointelegraph, adding, quote, simply put, there is no easy way to tell if an exchange is inflating volumes or not by merely looking at the volumes they report. The only way to truly detect wash trades would require access to account ID data, the actual accounts that perform the trade, and this data is extremely sensitive. Only exchanges have access to this. So that's going to be all that I read. There's there's quite a bit more to this particular article, but wash trading is going to, it's still a problem, clearly. And the regular, honestly, what this just, I want to, you know, I don't know, instill or reinforce is that regulators are coming and we can hate them as much as possible, but there's really only a few freaking places that we can take solace that they cannot regulate. And this is one of them. You can send me Satoshis anytime you want, and nobody can tell you different. Unless, of course, you're not holding your own private keys, which means that you have to ask permission to vector your Satoshis to me or anybody else. The only way to escape complete and total regulation is to do all of your own self-custody, be your own bank, hold your own private keys, and learn how to use the damn system. We finally have a weapon at our disposal after centuries of millennia we finally have this weapon in our hands and we can either choose to use it properly the way a weapon should be used or we can just bury it in the ground and not use it and no i'm not taking the ragnar uh way or or his little thing about you need to be spending your bitcoin i'm not saying that i'm just saying by you bury the weapon that, that you have been given in the ground every time you let somebody else hold your private key. That's, a, that's what I'm saying. So hold your own keys, 
run your own nodes, do all, do the things, learn the things, then go out and do the things and then be actively promoting all the things. All right. It's the only way to escape this shit because regulation is coming. It's going to come hard. It's going to be ugly. That's the way it goes. Now check this out. It's not technically about Bitcoin. I'm going to read three paragraphs of a translated from Spanish news article about the National Electoral Council in Venezuela. The National Electoral Council announced a new regulation for the selection of indigenous deputies to the National Assembly, changes that go against what is established in the Constitution and that are also based on the disapplication of several articles of the Organic Law of Electoral Processes and results in the direct election of indigenous deputies. At the time of appointing the new rectors of the CNE, the Constitutional Chamber of the Supreme Court of Justice, in its ruling 0068, also unilaterally announced the disengagement of up to 10 articles of the LOPRE regarding the choice of deputies as representatives of the country's indigenous peoples. If you don't know what's going on yet, you will hear in a sec. This is reflected in the new special regulation that the electoral body published on July the 24th. The articles that will not apply for the election are, and then they give a string of numbers, all of which determine conditions, requirements, and the way in which the indigenous representatives will be chosen. Parliament, this, according to the CNE, with the aim of vindicating the customs, uses, and practices of indigenous communities, something that is reflected in a press release. What does all that say? It means indigenous people, the Native Americans of Venezuela, are no longer allowed to vote for themselves. They have, they have now a represent, like sort of an electoral college. They don't get to vote themselves. They're having people that are going to vote for them. So... Dude, the erosion of democracy, even in places that are not democracies, is accelerating at a rapid pace. My suggestion, buy Bitcoin and stop worrying about all these assholes that wear suits. Hackers are now using Dogecoin to infiltrate computers. Shara Malwa is writing this for Decrypt.co sometime this morning. Uh, meme coin Dogecoin is being used by hackers to control Monero mining malware on Linux operating systems. Jeez, said security firm Intezer Labs yesterday when Intezer Labs was analyzing a relatively new backdoor Trojan virus called Doki. It found an old attacker was using it to direct mining malware on public web servers. But there was a key difference. The firm found the hacker who goes by Ngrok had uncovered a new method to use Dogecoin wallets for infiltrating web servers, a first such use for the meme coin. Quote, Dokai uses a previously undocumented method to contact its operator by abusing the Dogecoin, <laughs> abusing, <laughs> abusing the Dogecoin cryptocurrency blockchain in a, in a unique way to order to dynamically generate its C2 domain addresses, says Intezer Labs in its report. The attackers targeted command and control or C2 servers for this attack. These are used to organize and control compromised system within a target network and can include smartphones, PCs, and other internet connected devices. 
Uh, using Dogecoin transactions, the attackers were able to change the C2 addresses on exposed computers that ran their Monero mining bots. This allowed them to continually change their online location, which in turn allowed them to run the attack without getting caught by law enforcement. So why utilize this method? And Tezzer says... These steps meant security firms needed to access the hacker's Dogecoin wallet to take down Doki, which is impossible without knowing the wallet's private keys, and it seems to have worked well so far. Intezer says Doki has been active since, God, this January, but remain undetected on all 60 virus total scanning software used on Linux servers. Ah, dude. The attack is still active as of today, and Tezzer Labs noted that over the last several months, Docker servers have been increasingly targeted by malware operators and especially by crypto mining gangs. A way to prevent exposure to the NGROC botnet is to ensure that critical application process interfaces or APIs are not connected to the internet. As for Dogecoin, from going viral on TikTok to being endorsed by Elon Musk, and now being a critical tool for hackers, is there anything this coin won't get recognized for? Uh, honestly, it's one of the it's one of the other reasons why I love Doge. Yeah, I like I from that standpoint, I'm a shit coiner. I don't trade it. I don't recommend anybody buy it. I don't sell my bags because I think it'd be unethical. I will hold my Doge until Doge dies or I die. And no, I'm not going to pass it on to family members. Um. Dude, honestly, this is hilarious. I I know I should be probably more offended by it than I am, but Dogecoin. And the last thing I'll say about it, they they were like, as for Dogecoin from going viral on TikTok, I wonder, I wonder if there was some uh, coordination there by the uh, hackers that have been running this shit since January and deciding to go ahead and just, uh, uh, you know, you get it. Uh, whatever. Okay. Um, look, oh yeah. Oh God. Marie Juliet is writing this for coin telegraph and we have a local bitcoins fucking up story for us right here because local bitcoins ramps up compliance efforts in new partnership with elliptic. Yeah. 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 They're selling us out. Local bitcoins has partnered with blockchain intelligence firm elliptic. The latest move in the veteran peer to peer exchanges fight against criminal activities on its platform. Speaking to coin telegraph, chief operating officer at local bitcoins, Elena Tanyan or Tanoyan said the partnership was a key step in tackling the complex challenge. The platform faces. She explained quote, local bitcoins handles only Bitcoin. We don't touch traditional currencies. Hence we don't have the same visibility to the traditional, <coughs> excuse me, financial side as, for example, the banks. Additionally, local Bitcoins is very diverse and operates in 150 plus countries, which creates its own challenges when it comes to the practical side. She said that managing to, managing to process and evaluate the legitimacy of documents in multiple languages of the site's global customer base requires a huge effort. Local Bitcoins employs a multinational workforce from over 20 countries, to help in this, but beyond this diversity, a partnership with Elliptic will bring more, uh, at, will bring access to more blockchain monitoring tools that can help prevent the illicit use of local Bitcoin services. Uh, local Bitcoins had notably already tightened verification procedures as part of efforts to comply with the regulations such as EU's Fifth Money Laundering Directive or the 5AL AMLD. I think it's also called AMLD5. 
and international know your customer regulations. This sparked backlash. If one takes the 50% drop in trading volume in the months following the implementation of the measures at face value, I do. Ecliptics or Elliptics co-founder and chief scientist Tom Robinson has argued that introducing better controls on sites like local bitcoins has, whatever the cost for popularity, secured major gains in reducing criminal activities in the space. Quote, like the rest of the crypto industry, peer-to-peer crypto exchanges have made huge strides in adapting to the new regulatory environment by introducing more stringent technology-enabled anti-money laundering controls. Our data shows this has led to a 50% reduction in the volume of the crypto assets moving from dark markets to peer-to-peer exchanges. Uh, that's honestly, that. Yeah, yeah, that does it for for that particular article. But so here we go. And remember, every time that you say, you know, you hear somebody say, yeah, but we're we're reducing illicit activity or that's criminal. Always in the back of your mind, either ask yourself or remind yourself that somebody else is determining what illicit is, what criminality looks like and their definition of that shit may complete like it's it's illegal to walk in front of an elementary school with one joint of marijuana in your pocket i don't think that that's right and you can go to jail for the rest of your freaking life for that shit and possibly even in states that have it fully legalized i don't have it legalized in texas if I walk by an elementary school, get popped, and they find a joint in my pocket, I'm going to prison for a long time, a very long time. I had no intention to be a criminal. I had no intention to sell this to the children on the playground. And yet, just by my proximity to a school with this quote-unquote illicit substance that somebody else has defined as illicit, I lose all my freedom at the point of a gun. It's a fucking violence, and I'm getting sick of it. I just am. All right, so when people say, but we're, <clears throat> we're, um, what is it like, uh, local bill, uh, oh, fight against criminal activities. It's a fight against criminal activities. Exactly what criminal activities? Make sure you don't get suckered into, you know, going, oh, well, it's criminal. So it must be bad. So local Bitcoins is doing the right thing. We have no idea what their definition of illicit or criminality is. Always remember that. Let's do some numbers. Markets are still meh, and that's probably because I think uh, today is the second day of the Fed meeting. And I don't know, I haven't seen any news as to if what they're going to do with rates. So I'm thinking that they haven't released any news as to what they're going to do with rates. And they won't until the end of their meetings today. And that's why major indices are read like this. S&P is up almost a point. NASDAQ is up a little over a point. Uh, Dow Jones is sideways at being up a quarter of a point. FTSE is negligible. Nikkei is down a point. Hang Seng's up half. Shanghai's up two and volatility is down three points. And that makes sense because everything is so freaking meh. Bonds are mixed. Don't give a shit anymore. Uh, oil, $41.42 for West Texas Intermediate. That is a point 
to the upside change. Natural gas is at $1.8 per MCF. That is up a point and a quarter. Gold is at $1,952. Uh, call Peter Schiff and ask him to bring his pet rock home, please. Let's talk about real money. Bitcoin at $11,169. I have a high at Coinbase Pro. No, it's at Bit Asset, $11,195. And my low looks like it's going to be over at HitBTC, $11,163. 371,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours gives us an average cent per hour of 15,500 transactions. Uh, we have 1.18 million BTC being sent in the last 24 hours. That's about 50,000 BTC being sent per hour on average with 3.2 BTC being the average transaction value. And again, median transaction value remains twice as high as I usually think at 0.065 BTC or about 720 bucks. I usually like seeing 300, but uh, lately it's been high. We've had new hash power come online. So our block time is down below nine minutes to eight minutes and 50 seconds. Excuse me, allergies are kicking in. We got a, we got a little rain last night. It was so, so welcome, dude. Uh, we have 1.14 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and damn near 200, 184 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. This is odd. Hash rate has dropped 3.65% and that seems to keep us where we were yesterday at 124 exahashes per second. Yet still, I'm seeing block times of 8 minutes and 50 seconds, and the average blocks per hour are 7. So I'm, I'm a little confused, but I'm not going to let it screw me up. Last time somebody did anything with Bitcoin core repository code, or the GitHub uh, repository code was sometime this morning. Ethereum 322, Bcash 290, BSV 217, Litecoin 55, eh, maybe 56, Ethereum Classic at $7.30. Dogecoin holding in there, 0.0032. Nobody gives a shit that Doge all this time has been an evil, nefarious dog. Okay, so 48,000, actually 49,000 transactions puts it on top of Ethereum Classic, Litecoin, and clearly Bcash because nobody's using that freaking chain. Uh, yeah, so Doge, you know, Doge holding it in there, man. Let's see what Clark Moody of Bitcoin has to say. That's bitcoin.clarkmoody.com forward slash Bitcoin. And let's see what he's got for price. His list in $11,167. Um, let's see where, oh man, why am I always losing this? Okay. We have 45,000 transactions or he has 45,000 transactions in his mempool. There are 52 blocks to clear in his mempool and uh, let's see, Lightning Network, 978.9 BTC gives us liquidity of $10.9 million set across 7,362 nodes representing 36,785 channels. We have dropped on Tor capacity 438.59 BTC brings us to 44.8% Tor. And it was 44.9% yesterday. Tor number of Tor nodes is 2,147. That's going to do it for vitals.
coming back at you with more news you can use. MIT Lightning Creator unveils first demonstration of Bitcoin scaling tech. I wonder why MIT just, they don't really work on a whole lot of shitcoin projects. I wonder why. This was written yesterday uh, by who wrote it. Oh, uh, Alyssa Hertig is writing this for Coindesk.com. Lightning creator Taj Dirja, D-R-Y-J-A, Dirja, I think is how you pronounce it, has been working on a new design for a lighter weight Bitcoin full node about which he first wrote a paper in 2019. Last week, he and a team of coders released a first version of U-Tree-X-O software as part of MIT Digital Currency Initiative putting the idea of lighter nodes into working code. Full Bitcoin nodes act like financial security systems, validating Bitcoin blockchain transactions and protecting users from being tricked into thinking they received money that they didn't, but they take up a lot of computing space and are quickly growing in size. I'm going to stop right there. My Bitcoin full node that has a complete copy of every transaction ever done sits on a Raspberry Pi 4 in the corner of my office with a one terabyte SSD. Total cost, under $500. I'm running my node. Guys, it's not that hard. Do yourself a favor and all the rest of us. Join the troops today. Run your own node. It's like driving a Pershing tank or possibly an M1 Abrams. Or in my case, I self-identify as an Apache attack helicopter. So since these nodes are the most trustless way of using Bitcoin, developers have long been trying to make them easier to use. It's one of Bitcoin's nerdy holy grails. U-Tree-XO specifically tackles the size of, of the state of the full node, which shows up-to-date information about who owns how much Bitcoin. U-Tree-XO slashes the state size from roughly four gigabytes to less than a kilobyte. In that regard, it could be a big breakthrough. Quote, U-Tree-XO is a new scalability technology for Bitcoin which can make Bitcoin nodes smaller and faster while keeping the same security and privacy as full nodes, Durja wrote in the blog post announcing the release. But it hasn't been implemented fully yet, which is why it's a big deal to see Dryja releasing a first version of it. The project still has a long journey to go before users can begin using the nodes to plant a flag of financial self-sovereignty. But it's a crucial first step. Bitcoin full nodes hold every transaction ever made, clocking in at about 200 gigabytes today. Pruned full nodes. That's not true, guys. It's longer. It's, it's more than that. Um, but hold on. Oh, shit. <laughs> I'll tell you about my sister breaking her foot in another in another episode. But yeah, she broke her foot and she's at the doctor right now and telling us about it. Anyway, so, uh, but. Okay, yeah, the 200 gigabytes, it's, it's, lar- it's larger than that. How do I know? Because I run my own full node. I've got half a terabyte hard drive running this thing. I'm using 48% of it. So I'm thinking the, the, block si- the uh, blockchain uh, for Bitcoin's blockchain, I'm thinking it's like 350 gigabytes minimum. All right, so 200 is not correct, but let's go on. Pruned full nodes are able to reduce the size of the transaction history to as low as half a gig, about the size required to store an episode of a TV show. But this doesn't tackle the storage of Bitcoin's unspent transaction outputs, which tallies up how much Bitcoin is linked to each Bitcoin address. This batch of data takes up a little less than four gigabytes of data. The UTXO state has grown rapidly over time, 
and it's likely to continue growing, making it harder to run full nodes. That's where U-Tree-XO comes in. With the help of fancy new cryptography, it's possible to replace the bulk uh, this bulk of state with one tiny cryptographic proof that takes up much less storage. Quote, U-Tree-XO is a novel hash-based dynamic accumulator, which allows the millions of unspent outputs to be represented in under a kilobyte. Small enough to be written on a sheet of paper, Dryge explains on the MIT DCI website, because it does what a prune node does, plus more. One Bitcoiner called it a super pruned node, Dryge told Coindesk. Trying to have or shave down these hefty Bitcoin full nodes is <clears throat> far from a new pursuit. Simplified payment verification or SPV is probably the most popular version of a lightweight node used by Electrum and other wallets. U-Tree-XO is similar to SPV in that it doesn't require nearly as much compute storage space as a full node, but SPV nodes don't preserve user privacy as well and are more susceptible to attacks than U-Tree-XO nodes are since U-Tree-XO offers these security benefits. Dryja hopes it might chip away at SPV's dominance in the space as long as writing the U-Tree-XO software goes as well as planned. Quote, I think it would be great if it replaced SPV to some extent, allowing an Electrum-like user experience, but with Bitcoin core security, in quotes. But in the end, he doesn't think it'll replace SPV completely, as SPV is still easier to run. Quote, I think it will be a bit in between. U-Tree-X nodes are heavier than SPV, but lighter than current full nodes. So some SPV users may switch to U-Tree-XO, and some current full node users may switch as well. He also imagines that since U-Tree-XO nodes are much easier to run, they'll be much more common than normal full nodes. Quote, longer term, I can definitely see almost all full nodes using a U-Tree-XO-like design, and nodes which store the entire state in history would be more like current blockchain explorer websites or electrum servers there will still be some but no normal users will run their own utrexo developers have now put forward a proof of concept showing that the idea can be turned into a real working product but they still have a lot of work to do including ironing out bugs to make the mini node suitable for real money quote the software operates on testnet the Bitcoin testing network and is not recommended for use with real money. There are still plenty of known bugs and inefficiencies in the code, but we're improving it at a rapid pace. They'll eventually <clears throat> have to make the U-Tree-XO node compatible with the nodes already running on the Bitcoin network. To do this, developers will eventually need to modify Bitcoin Core, the most popular Bitcoin node software. But this could be dangerous. Yeah, it's always dangerous. U-Tree-XO is a significant rethinking of how Bitcoin works, changing consensus critical code. Right there when it says changing consensus critical code, alarms and all kinds of shit need to go off. This is the same kind of shit we went through with S2X, okay? I'm not saying I don't like U-Tree-XO. I think it's good, but it's going to start a fight. That's guaranteed. It's going to start a fight. I don't know who's going to be involved in the fight, but, well, actually, all of us will be involved in the fight, but I don't know who the people that are going to be proponents of and uh, detractors of U-Tree-XO. I think U-Tree-XO is pretty cool. Honestly, but this shit's going to start a fight. So be prepared. I, I don't know what else to tell you on that one, but that's going to do it for that particular article. <clears throat> I'm going to, I want to, I kind of want to end it there because I don't want to detract from how important it is to understand that when you try to change consensus critical code in Bitcoin core, all that means is that you're, you're in for a huge fight. 
Now, let's do this one. Uh, this is a kind of a back to basics thing. Justin S. Wales is writing this for Coindesk sometime this morning. And the title is Why Bitcoin is Protected by the First Amendment. It's always good to get uh, uh, back to a little bit of basics here. So it's an opinion piece, but let's see what jo uh, Justin has to say. <clears throat> Regulators tend to view virtual currencies monolithically, treating cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin no differently from centralized projects that share little in common with it. As a result, federal government and many states define virtual currencies in such broad terms that anyone dealing in them is required to obtain a license and keep records about their customers. To a hammer, everything is a nail. And to many regulators, every virtual currency is money. But the instinct to focus solely on the monetary functions of these technologies ignores the associational and expressive characteristics of decentralized networks. In other words, the regulators don't know what they're dealing with and we're not doing a good enough job explaining it to them. <laughs> Even if we did, they're not going to like the answers. That's me. As an industry, we should reframe the discussion about Bitcoin and its progeny away from the use of solely as digital money and instead describe them as on-ramps to decentralized networks capable of much more. Once properly viewed as conduits of global communicative technologies, it becomes clear that participation in these networks is protected by the First Amendment of the Constitution of the United States of America. The First Amendment contains several important guarantees including the freedoms of expression and association since its ratification. These rights have been extended to new forms of expression made possible by technological innovations. In Packingham v. North Carolina, the Supreme Court reaffirmed that the First Amendment applies to online networks and protects our rights to express and associate through them. The use of the Internet for expressive and associative purposes is as protected as the use of parchment or congregating in a town hall, as was envisioned by the founders, like the Internet itself. Bitcoin's network enjoys broad First Amendment protections. For this article, I'll limit the analysis to Bitcoin, but the principles discussed should apply to any network that shares Bitcoin's open, borderless, censorship-resistant, and immutable characteristic. At its most basic level, Bitcoin is a protocol by which like-minded participants across the world maintain a public truth. Nodes maintain a record of that truth, and miners work to ensure the record is accurate. Anyone can join Bitcoin's network, and the software needed to do so is freely available. Every participant has a right to propose improvements to the network, which are adopted by majority vote, and as we have seen numerous times, a disagreement among participants can result in a fork of the network in which a subset of users advocates for a different form of governance. In this sense... Bitcoin is a direct form of democracy, the protection of which is not diminished merely because the internal incentive mechanism that keeps the network running without a central authority has developed a secondary market value. Participating in the Bitcoin network, either by running a node, mining, or perhaps even holding a virtual currency, is for many an act of political expression as much as a financial one. This was surely the case in the technology's earliest days when the price of Bitcoin was negligible and participants joined to reject the notion that money should be controlled by central banks. For those who share this mindset, participating in the Bitcoin network is an overtly political act of association that cannot be so easily restricted. That is not to say Bitcoin cannot be regulated, but that efforts to do so likely must meet the high standard applied to the deprivation of constitutional rights and that subordinate guarantees such as the right to associate anonymously may be implicated. Granted, the question of whether the act of merely holding Bitcoin represents enough participation in the network to trigger associational rights is debatable, but when one considers networks that utilize a proof-of-stake mechanism 
that require uh, possession of virtual currency to maintain the network, the answer is easier. Mm -hmm. I'm not suggesting that Bitcoin is not money. Rather, I'm advocating for an understanding that it is much more than money. As Andreas Antonopoulos explained in his 2016 book, The Internet of Money, saying Bitcoin is digital money is like saying the Internet is a fancy telephone. It's like saying that the Internet is all about email. Money is just the first application. That's Andreas's quote from the book. Decentralized networks present powerful non-monetary use cases from Bitcoin's first block, which contains Satoshi's famous Times of London message. Its ledger has been used to immutably preserve non-financial content. In the decades since its creation, Bitcoin has been used to publish political messages, artistic expressions, memes, and much, much more. Bitcoin's limited block size makes it an imperfect vehicle for this use, but other networks, including forks of Bitcoin, are actively experimenting with decentralized publications and social media platforms. I'm going to stop you right there, sir. Those are shit coins. There is no reason in the world that Bitcoin cannot be used in a as a f- settlement layer for something for another system to do the very things that they say they have to do on the base on, on the base. If you start expanding the block size, you're going your, to find yourself more regulatable in ways that don't have a damn thing to do with any Supreme court anywhere in the world. I'll be able to see a huge, massive block and just go, dude, that's going to be BSV. I am going to shut that shit down. It is never going to touch anything that that I I will never let it touch anything if I have anything to say about it. And I don't need anybody's permission to do that. The bigger the block, the harder it is to escape notice. And that's what you want. Okay? Keep that shit in mind. This guy is... Clearly doesn't understand what a shitcoin is. That's exactly, that's entirely too bad. But the ability to immutably publish content onto a globally maintained network free from political or corporate censorship may emerge as a powerful tool against oppression, but that is but one use case for a globally maintained ledger. When one considers the authentication tools or smart contract applications proposed for Bitcoin utilizing RSK or made possible by God, uh, Gag, Ethereum, and other chains, the potential applications for these networks is vast for regulators charged with overseeing the purchase and use of virtual currencies needed for these and other yet unknown applications to run, it may be that there are instances where the use of a virtual currency is constitutionally more analogous to a modem or fiber optic cable than to a dollar. We've all heard the phrase, money is speech, which stems from the United States Supreme Court's recognition that the use of money can itself be an expressive act. One has a right to donate to a political party because we view that type of spending not as financial, but as communicative. Because of Bitcoin, money is no longer restrained to a dollar's limitations. Accordingly, the range of expression one is capable of has been expanded because money has taken a more useful form. An example of this is the Lightning Trust Chain that occurred last year when Bitcoin's Lightning Network was used to send nominal micropayments across the globe as a commitment to borderless communication. The ability to transact across borders in amounts less than a penny expands the range of expressive and associational opportunities available to us and should not be regulated in the same manner that we regulate, regulate typical financial transactions. Bitcoin has forced money to outgrow its prior form and as a result 
has extended the range of expressions we can achieve. Because most people will only be able to take advantage of these new capabilities by first purchasing a cryptocurrency, there very well may be times when such transactions must be left unregulated. That is not to say Bitcoin is immune from regulation. And there are clearly instances when it should be treated as a currency, but we must understand that this is not always the case. As decentralized networks continue to expand our ability to associate and express with one another, we must remain cognizant that the First Amendment has always grown to embrace new technologies and protect the expanding expressive opportunities they create. Though through this understanding, it is clear that efforts to treat all virtual currencies as the same without any consideration for the expressive benefits of associating with a global decentralized network may be constitutionally problematic. Okay, so that's the end of that. I agree with most of that, except clearly when he dabbles in shit coinery as if any of these things are not scams. I, I honestly, if you decide that you want to make your own shit coin, there's only one way to do it. Nobody can know your name. You cannot benefit from it at all. You've got to drop the code in a public forum and hope that the, that the public decides to run it. There cannot be a pre-mine. There cannot be anything. That's the only way to do it. That's the only way that you'd any shitcoin would ever get any amount of respect from me is if I don't know who the fuck you are. If short of that, dig yourself a grave, throw yourself in it, bury yourself alive because you're a scammer and I don't have time for you. I also don't have time uh, to do this other story that I was going to do. So I'm, I got to cut this, this show short. We're at 50 minutes. So it's not that short. It's not like a, five minute show or something like that. Uh, But that will do it for the morning roundup. Daily train wrecked is brought to you by somebody from ripple. I, uh, it's one of the ripple heads guys. I, I, I can't do much about it, but good mercy on a stick. Um, yeah, this I'm, I'm. It's part of a thread. You don't need the whole thread. This is Ailes and one 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 B Y E, also known as Phil D. You guessed it, XRP. God, I do not agree. Blockchain is the decentralizing of trust and immutability of data. <clears throat> Bitcoin fills one use case around this concept. There are plenty of other valid use cases. Thinking BTC is the only one is like thinking VHS is the only real video recording technology. Sorry, man, that you can't do that to us anymore. We, we, we've been seeing through that argument for so long. I can only assume this guy is a newcomer um, his Twitter account's been active since like 2011, but I think he's probably just found the, I think he's just walked into a hornet's nest. Uh, no, it's not like the Ford Model T. It is not the VHS Betamax uh, fight. It's not any of those things. Do you know why? Because all those things are products. Bitcoin isn't a product. It's the, it's the assembly line and the manufacturing process on top of which all products are built. 
If you decide to use an inferior manufacturing process to build your products, then all your products will fail. This is not a VHS. It's not about watching movies. Stop being a dipshit. There's your smoldering pile. All right, terrible joke corner brought to you by Dad Says Jokes. As soon as I get it back up here. Ah, here we go. Dad Says Jokes. That is at Dad Says Jokes uh, on Twitter. And uh, if you're not listening to Dad Says Jokes, I don't know what's wrong with you, man. The guy's pretty, pretty damn funny. A book just fell on my head. I have only my shelf to blame. That's what I love about dad. It'll make you cringe. If, you, if your dad's not making you cringe with jokes, you, you didn't grow up right. I mean, you got to do it. And if you're a father and you're not making your children and your wife cringe with jokes or your significant other, whatever it happens to be, you're not doing it right, man. Come on. You, you, you're just not. All right. So, uh, yeah, like I said, uh, sister broke her foot. I got to get on the phone because apparently it's a kind of like a bad break. Uh, Oh God, dude. Okay. I didn't intend the pun. I, 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 I see somebody stop me. God, uh, a big, huge, massive shout out to two people. Uh, Mr. Sue or Phil Gibson. Uh, I got a chance to talk to him on the phone last night because yesterday was a pretty rough day. Uh, if you didn't listen to yesterday's show, I'm not going to regale you with the story. You can go back and, and listen to the first part of it, but yeah, it was a bad it was a pretty bad scene, bro. Thanks, Phil. I appreciate you spending time on the phone with somebody you've never talked to before in real life and uh, letting me kind of vent. Um, it was uh, helpful. It was very helpful. And that's what I like about all the people in this community is I was like, I reached out to him. I'm like, oh, Phil, I need, I need somebody to talk to. And he's like, dude, I'll call. And he did. Called immediately. And uh, also to the guys over at Play Sh- uh, <clears throat> Shamery. That's P-L-A-Y-S-H-A-M-O-R-Y, Play Shamery. Uh, played a few rounds of their game, their card game uh, with my kids, and it's a big hit. My son is looking forward to playing it again today. I can only imagine he will be running through here directly saying, let's, let, let's play this thing. Um, I'm going to give a full-blown review of this thing because there's... I, I may be wrong about it, which is why I need to look at it completely again. But there was something about the directions that I'm kind of stumbling over uh, as to some things that are not quite spelled out correctly. However, I f- am fully aware that that very well may be that I can't read and I've really gone through my entire life being illiterate. If that's the case, I'm sorry, guys. But so far, dude, the game is really good. The cards are nice and thick. They can, looks to me like they can take a lot of abuse. They spent a lot of time developing the artwork. They paid attention to detail on color schemes and they paid attention to detail on trying to get something as complicated as the base items of what makes a blockchain work in Bitcoin into a game. They gamified it and they've done a really good job. 
Um, there are, like I said, in the directions, unless I'm illiterate, there's some problems that I'd like to see corrected. And I'm going to go through it again and make sure that they're not my problems, that they are, in fact, play Shamari's pro problem. But it's, I mean, come on, dude, at this point, it's, this is just tweakage kind of thing. Um, but it's, I really enjoyed playing it. My 10 year old daughter enjoyed playing it. And my seven year old son is in love with it. My seven year old, I think he likes the pictures and the uh, colors more than trying to figure out other stuff, uh, like how Bitcoin works, but it doesn't matter because my 10 year old, when I ask her the question now of how do you mine a block? Her answer is the nonce must match the target. Nah, it's not exactly correct, but oh my God, that's so close. And that's like the base. That's like, we're, we're talking fundamental shit right here. So uh, go over to at play Shamari, the Twitter account, and they'll get you to their website and you can look at it for yourself. I will do a full review. I'm going to try to get it out this week as part of one of the one of the shows. It's Wednesday today, so maybe on Friday, I'm thinking, because I want to have some time to play way more and make sure that I'm not screwing up the directions. Other than that, one of these days, maybe me and you, uh, all of you guys, will be able to play Shamari, but that's going to have to wait till the other side. This has been Bitcoin and... And I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.